Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, The Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe right now at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Question for you. Okay. Did you ever go to the Enchanted Forest? Yes. So for those of you who aren't local or who aren't aged <laughs> like we are, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's still there. There is a place. I want to say it is, but I'd have to double check. I think it's under new ownership. I don't know if it's could still be. there. You have the internet in your hand. You could look it up. Nope, not going to. All right. There, is, there was a park, though, <laughs> essentially. Is like a or was park. a park. Uh, a theme park on route from Alberta to British Columbia. That was ostensibly an enchanted forest. Yeah, so, it's called the Enchanted Forest. Yeah, it's a wooded area. You go in, you pay your entrance fee, and then you wander the paths, and there are like fairy tale scenes. And... Yeah, it's basically just a a nature trail with quote unquote magical enhancements. Yeah, and it was a delight. Yeah, the closest thing we've got nearby in Edmonton now is we have a Jurassic Forest. Where you wander trails and there's animatronic dinosaurs yeah. that go, Bleh. It is not nearly as whimsical. No, no. And there are way more mosquitoes. Yeah, I remember we used to stop at the Enchanted Forest whenever we would go to Flintstone Park, which was kind of our go-to, like, summer trip. Oh, Flintstone Park. Flintstone Park is definitely not there anymore, unfortunately. Oh, wow, that's true. But uh, there was a place in BC, I don't even know where in BC now, which was, uh, basically, it was like, uh, they had remade... Bedrock. Bedrock City. Bedrock, yeah. more of a town, really. Okay. But you could go and see, like, the Flintstones house and yeah. the Rubbles house. And, uh, like, sit, the... sit in your, get your picture taken in, in, uh, Fred Flintstone's car. Yeah. Uh, and it was all, like, there was a miniature golf course and there were, it was a little theme park, a yeah. little Flintstone. A little Flintstone theme, theme, park. theme park. It, it was, was lots of fun, too. It was. It was goofy fun. Um, not there anymore. No. You cannot find it. No, that one's not there anymore. Yeah, but the Enchanted Forest might be. And I bring up the Enchanted Forest because that's kind of, where Tracker finds himself in this chapter. Except... except the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Except a, a terrible enchanted forest full of bad things. The dark and terrible opposite. Yeah. Uh, but before he gets there, they did have a bit of a journey last chapter. Oh, goodness. Where we get to know B.B. Dateman, uh, who is sent along with uh, Tracker <laughs> and uh, the, the party to yeah. begin their journey. And then we promptly lose B.B. Dateman. Yeah, they encounter some swamp trolls who <laughs> basically murder B.B. Dateman and very nearly kill the rest of them. They then take a ride on a giant fish. To, a giant magic fish. To the opposite shore. <laughs> whereupon they, uh, the party ends up splitting up with yep. some of them uh, deciding to go around the Darklands and a couple others being like, pfft. Darklands, whatever. And Tracker's <laughs> firmly against going in the Darklands. Having been there before. Indeed. But ultimately gets guilted into going and helping out his erstwhile friends. And that's what leads us into Chapter 10 of Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. 
Tracker begins this chapter turning around to help the three stooges bumble their way through the Darklands. <laughs> I, I imagine it's one of those, like, ugh, because he knows he's going to do this. Yeah. Right? The witch was right. Absolutely. He's like, uh, curse my guilty conscience. Indeed, because as we discussed last chapter, Tracker is the one guy in the world who actually does care in spite of himself. Right? And in spite of his life experiences. So he heads into a jungle, which surprised me. I was expecting, based on the Darkland, something like Mordor. <laughs> like, no, no word of a lie. I was expecting it to be like a scrubby Badlands region. Oh, see, I expect... Uh, my nerd is going to show here. I was in anticipating uh, something like the uh, the Shadow Labyrinth in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Where it's, you know, very labyrinthine and kind of overgrown and super dark. And you can only see, like, so far if you have a torch. Which, ironically, is much closer to the truth than what my expectation was. Yeah. Because the Darklands is indeed a, a jungle. Yep. Um, a dark, the dark, creepy jungle. The Darklands are like a crazy drug-fueled fever dream. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, in in many ways, it's a terrifying wonderland. <laughs> Scott read this chapter first. And when uh, he was finished and he gave me the book to read it, I asked him, oh, how was the chapter? And he went, things get very surreal. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> and he was right. Yeah. Tracker begins his... Descent into the Darklands. I'm going to call it a descent. His trek into the Darklands. <laughs> uh, instantly suspicious of e basically every animal and plant. And this is a suspicion born out of experience, very clearly. Oh, yes. Yeah, he notes a woodpecker tapping on a tree, and he's like, that woodpecker is telling everybody else in this forest that I'm coming. <laughs> I speak Morse code, woodpecker. Yeah, is he's... he's seeing monkeys following him quietly and he's like i've those monkeys have definitely been trailing me for like a mile eventually things start to get real surreal he encounters a herd of ghost elephants trying to spook him right and he has to like protect his horse yeah from and, ghost elephants uh, a troop of very real apes threatening him with their very proximity like super scary apes strange batmen hanging upside down drooling what he initially thinks are cobwebs Right? Yeah. Poisonous berries. <laughs> like, it's just everything. <laughs> okay, but of all the... No, but... <laughs> of all the things to stack up on top of each other, ooh, poisonous berries. Well, it's arson, murder, and jaywalking. But <laughs> more, more to the point, though, it seems like a throwaway comment, but it's indicative of how not only the animals are dangerous here, the plant life is, too. Everything in the Darklands mm -hmm. is dangerous. And the familiarity that Tracker has with them, right? Yes. What was it? Three berries... Three berries to fall asleep for however long it was, a moon or something like that. Yep. Four to never wake up again. Like, he knows. Um, he also starts hearing a voice almost as soon as he crosses the threshold. And at first, he's not even certain if it's an outside voice or his internal monologue. Spoiler alert, it turns out to be an external voice. Uh, yes. Maybe? Maybe. Question mark. Right. Because <laughs> that's also not entirely clear. I, I was always under the impression that this person, this voice was speaking inside his head. That's how I read it. Yeah, he calls it an Enjonu, which is a kind of impersonal spirit. Right. Um, based on the lore I was able to dig up of what this kind of spirit is, it's more like the spirit of a place. So the implication is that it's the spirit of the Darklands itself taunting him. Oh, okay. Because I also tried to look something up, and I couldn't find much. And what I did find was translated pretty badly, and I had trouble sorting out what that meant. That actually leads into an interesting point. Um, Marlon James is drawing a lot upon 
African mythology, especially East African mythology, especially Yoruba mythology. And there's not a lot of documented information on it, not the way that you would see for Norse mythology or Greek mythology, things that are much more codified yeah. that we know certainly in our Western culture a lot more about. And it, it has been a bit of a challenge to turn up a lot of information on some of these fairies and griblies and <laughs> uh, and creatures that, and spirits that he's using in his story, which is endlessly fascinating to me. Like looking up this stuff has actually been a joy because it's been hard to find. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, I'm a kind of a collector of fairy tales. I Can have, confirm. <laughs> I have not a vast library, but a respectable library of fairy tales and folk tales and, and such. Uh, from all around the world, and there isn't a lot in at least in my collection on uh, African folk tales. Mm -hmm. So reading about them in a work of fiction like this is just it, it's just tickling my fairy tale fancier, pushing the right buttons. I don't know. I don't know what the right metaphor is. Yeah, as grim as this book has been, it has in many ways been a joy to read so far. Mm -hmm. So after nearly falling into a pond, which is also a dream, uh, when he stops to let his horse drink. At some time of day, because it's impossible to tell, because the Darklands is always just dusk. Right? Like Vegas. He smells some creatures following him, and he instantly picks them out as creatures he's encountered before in the Darklands. And he identifies them as an Awele and an Igbere. Yes. He calls them Gomids, which are basically kind of like... They're traditionally referred to more like trolls, but you could equate them more with like a sinister forest fairy. Yeah, like a cross between the two, sort of. Definitely like dark fairies. Scary AF, I think, is what we're looking at. And this is where Tracker calls upon some magic. I want to talk about this. Let's talk about some magic. Let's talk about this magic. Okay, so we know it's from the Sangoma. He explicitly calls out that it's from the Sangoma. Yes, exactly, because he says so. Um, but she doesn't deal in witchcraft. So this isn't witchcraft, but it is magic. Yeah. So... That confirms for me what I strongly suspected before, is that there are different kinds of magic. That would certainly be the implication. Right? Because if Hank Witchman couldn't find any magic on him, or sorry, couldn't find any witchcraft on him, then this is magic, not witchcraft. Yes. And those are two different things. Well, I mean, if, if I may for a moment... Please? Uh, ...reach into my dice bag... And pull out. Oh, you're going to have to be specific about which some one. Some Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you. There are in many role-playing games different kinds of magic that draw upon different sources. Mm -hmm. So in Dungeons and Dragons, for example, a wizard draws upon arcane lore, very codified ways of tapping into the natural magic of an area in order to generate an effect. Sorcerers have that magic inside of them, through their bloodline, through their lineage, through their personal link to the font of magic, and they draw their magic out internally. Warlocks make a pact with an extraplanar creature. So they might contact Cthulhu or Asmodeus and be like, hey, how about this nice juicy soul in exchange for magic? And then that power goes, sounds good, boss. And then they have magic. And that's just arcane magic because there's a further split with divine magic which is magic given to you by gods in exchange for worship so just right there multiple different oh yeah types of magic and that could very well be a similar case here where maybe the sangoma was drawing upon 
A different type of magic. A different kind. Well, like maybe she was drawing upon like nature magic or she was drawing upon divine magic in a way that a witch, who's maybe using something a little more occult, dealing with spirits and devils, right. uh, might not be doing. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, the Sangoma might have been drawing upon some sort of ancestor magic based on what I understand of how a Sangoma works. Oh, maybe. You understand more about how a Sangoma works than I do. And I know, I, I understand it very little because I'm a white person. <laughs> so at any rate, the, uh, the magic, the spell that Tracker invokes here essentially renders him invisible to these creatures. His horses, however, not invisible. Yeah. So these two idiot dark troll things are arguing about killing him, eating him as, as they do. Suddenly he disappears. They're too stupid to notice. And then they start arguing about the horse. Yeah. Or one of them notices and the other one's like, what are you talking about? There's uh, clearly nothing here. Yeah. And he uses that confusion to promptly kill Eggberry. Yes. <laughs> Just hacking him, hacking his head right off. Ueli loses his little mind. Dumbfounded that what is it, the wind is killing his brother. Yeah. Despite the fact that Tracker is like, dude, that fairy's going to get better in like a week. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's. What are you so upset about? Beheading that monster is Barely an inconvenience to it. <laughs> Not going to be a problem. Uh, Uele, however, does go to retaliate, and then the horse just kicks him. Yeah. And away he flies through the air. I thought that was pretty great. It was It was a very funny visual of this, like, befanged monster leaping through the air towards him, and the horse is just like, poot. Yeah, just like, pow. <laughs> and away it goes. It's, I, am, I imagine that... <laughs> If this were if this were a movie, it would just be two horse legs coming from the from the side of the frame and just pow, just kicking him out the other side. Yep, and that's the last we see of Ueli. Uh And Tracker makes good his escape here too. Um, then he starts to really get hounded by the voice in his head at this juncture. <gasps> I love this part. I love that Tracker has absolutely no time. for the BS that this voice is trying to pour into his brain. Yeah, because I love the, it. The voice kind of miscalculates. So the voice starts taunting him about, oh, poor unloved Tracker, who's not really a hero, despite the fact that he likes to think he is. You left your family behind. Did you even know you had a sister? Your mom didn't tell you she was pregnant, did she? And you don't even have any purpose in your life. You're just a wandering nobody. And Tracker's like, you want to talk to me about family and purpose? Voice? Listen here, voice. Got some words for you. Yeah, number one, I don't care if I have a sister. I haven't seen my mother in years. Who cares? Who cares about that? Number two, the purpose that I was saddled with unjustly was a cycle of revenge. What does it mean? It means omata. It means rewenge. One that I broke by turning my back on it. Yeah. So no thank you. Yeah. What exactly would that have solved if I had fulfilled my purpose? I'd have gone and killed a Gingatom and then... His family would have come and killed me, and then my family would have gone and killed him, and it would have just continued forever. So better that my bloodline dies with me. Yep. And then that cycle of revenge is over. Yep. He has no time for this this voice that's trying to pour self-doubt into him. <laughs> yeah. No time at all, and no. it pleases me. Uh, to a certain extent, Tracker is very comfortable with who he is. <laughs> oh, yes. So he can't orient by the sun. He can't orient by stars. Landmarks are largely meaningless. The area is actively shifting around him. At some point, he passes through the same clearing a couple times. Yeah, he's wandering through Labyrinth. Yeah. But finally, he wanders into a clearing with a little hut. And behind that hut is an unconscious giant. 
Sadogo. Yeah. Uh, at first, Tracker thinks he might be dead, but it turns out that he is just tr- kind of trapped in a stupor. Uh, it's it, like magic drunk. Yeah. Right? I imagine it takes a lot of the particular magic to knock out a giant, and it didn't quite take all the way. Though Sadogo does take umbrage to being called a giant in which, this chapter. Which is great, because this is how Tracker's trying to like get him riled up. So that he'll get so up that, and follow yeah, him. So yeah. that he'll get up and not just fall victim to this drunken stupor magic-y magic. Yeah, um, Sadogo says that a mad monkey... Uh, blue bone dust on him. And Tracker recognizes this as a tactic that uh, has been used on him in the Darklands in the past. Uh, though it didn't really have an effect on him because, again, the Sangoma's protection. Tracker notes the dust is normally supposed to paralyze someone to make them a uh, pliable yeah. victim. But Sadogo being Sadogo, probably the regular dose was only enough to, like... Make him woozy. Intoxicate him, more or less, rather than actually paralyze him. Once Sadogo is finally back on his feet, he does indicate that Leopard and Fumali, however, were paralyzed and were taken into the hut. Being much smaller. Yeah, Tracker at this juncture also catches on that Sadogo keeps referring to the Mad Monkey, and it begins to dawn on him that he's not entirely certain who this Mad Monkey is. This is something new that he hasn't encountered in the Darklands before. But he does think to himself that the Darklands is kind of like a a hellmouth. It just attracts all sorts of nastiness. Oh, yes. What was that saying at the beginning? You'll find what you're looking for in the Darklands? Or what you're looking for will find you. Yes. Leopard and Fumali are indeed inside the hut and indeed paralyzed from the bone dust. Leopard actually stuck mid-transformation. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a description we got. Yeah. Um, Tracker lets them know that he's there because while physically paralyzed, he's aware that their minds are still terrifyingly awake. Yeah, he's like, look, I know you can hear me and I know you can't move. Yeah. I've come, I've come to rescue you. When Sudoku stumbles in behind him, he notes another door inside that wasn't on the outside. I know. Uh, and it's locked all the way down the side. And Tracker... It's like a bunch of locks. Yeah. Tracker indicates he's familiar with what it is. And the voice kind of taunts him about it, too. And is like, oh, found one of those doors. Did you, did you know there's only 19 of them in the entire world? And apparently one of them's right here. <laughs> Creepy. You know about these doors. Yeah. Tracker gets Sadogo to pick up Leopard. He collects Fumali. And Sadogo starts to ramble. Yeah. In his kind of drunken stupor. And I wonder if there isn't a little bit of throwaway exposition and or foreshadowing. Possibly a little bit of both. This is definitely established Sadogo, though, because we know he's a bit of a chatterbox when given the opportunity. Oh, yeah. And he's a little intoxicated, and his mind is wandering. So uh, he talks a little bit about having worked for a slaver for a time. He also talks about how there are no Ogo women that he is aware of, and he does not know where he came from. Right. And no Ogo does. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I found particularly interesting the bit about the king of the south who was trying to breed his own Ogo. With disastrous results. Right? That's what I meant by a little bit of exposition and or foreshadowing. Like, is this... Is this a piece of information that we need to hold on to? Well, the king in the south was also quite mad, as we understand, so. Oh, yes. They go to leave, and unfortunately, that's around the time that the mad monkey returns. Um, Whatever that actually is. Tracker uh, actually recognizes the screech that it makes as something he heard earlier in the Darklands, but couldn't identify at the time. It sounds like all capital E's. Yeah. And based on the description, Sadogo calling it a mad monkey is apt, but incorrect. Right. It's definitely not a monkey. 
But uh, I don't know what it is. It sounds terrifying. Yeah, I actually did some searching uh, to try to find a monster that fit this description and could not find anything. So I have no idea what the Mad Monkey is. Awesome. Except that it is the Mad Monkey. It's like got green skin and a tail and... Like a snout. And like, yeah, and and gnashing teeth and is very angry. Yes. And a smoky eye. Right? Weird. Yeah. No idea what it is. Anyway, it attacks. <laughs> yeah, uh, it does indeed. It rushes them in unnatural haste. And Sadogo drops Leopard and slams the door in its face, basically. <laughs> Locking the door from the inside. But, I mean, Tracker is immediately like, that door is not going to hold. <laughs> oh, no. And then, uh, a la The Shining, this thing starts to come through the door. Yeah. Right? And then a bit of its, a bit of its nose comes through and then a bit of its face. And then it gets stuck. Briefly, yeah, it gets yeah. its head stuck in the and hole. And then you know, like, oh, no, this next one, it's going to break. we got to get out of here. Yeah, Sudogo is basically like, we need to escape through the mysterious locked door. And Tracker's like, I kind of want to fight that monkey instead. You sort of don't trust this mysterious locked door. He's ultimately swayed from his initial desire to fight the monkey by recognizing that the monkey seems pretty formidable. <laughs> and the other three, if they were on their feet and him, might be able to take it. But they are in no condition yeah. to fight this thing. New, no. yeah, they're not with him. New. No. Uh, Sadogo tries to rip off the locks from the back door, but they reappear by mm. magic. So Tracker ends up speaking a spell that he apparently doesn't know. I yeah, I want to know about that one. Uh, he suggests that it's the Sangoma doing the work for him. Maybe. So again, probably there's there's some. There's still some actual Sangoma inside. I am keen for all of these Sangoma stories that we have not heard yeah. yet. He did spend some time there. Yes. And it's slowly... And apparently a very fruitful time there. Yeah. We've learned more and more that he wasn't just around the Sangoma. He might have been learning from the Sangoma. Right. Whatever spell he speaks is enough to make the door open itself to them. Yes. And they rush through into basically a void with no obvious escape. So Tracker turns around and opens back, through... back up the door. Yeah. Except it now leads to a different location. Yes. And so they go back through the door again. But now they are in a in a stone room rather than a wooden hut. Right. Uh, there are shelves of books and scrolls from outside. They can hear what sounds like a market. And Sadogo's like... What happened to the hut? And Tracker's like, the hut is long gone. We are days away from the Darklands. We are, in fact, in Congor. Yes. And that... End of chapter. <laughs> ...is the end of chapter. They've arrived in Congor by magic well ahead of schedule. Right? Unless time is also a non-factor through that door. I have no idea. But uh, that does indeed end chapter 10 and part 2... Yes. ...of our novel. So next up will be part 3. Now, is it spoiler to say that I did turn the page and noticed a whole new map, but I did not read any words, so no spoilers. There's always a new map. There was but a new map a, last time. Too. But there's a whole new map. Yeah. So here we are, whole new part, whole new map. Because we got the map of Malakal. Yep. And now we have a map of Congor. Two. Yeah. So the Darklands were a very fast chapter. Surprisingly full fast of, chapter. Yeah. Full of weird stuff. A very, as I said, a, a terrifying wonderland. I kind of like how the chapter breezed by actually because it was very dreamlike which i felt was appropriate for the uh adventure that tracker was having yes because it is this weird shifting ephemeral place uh which is part dream part spirit world part 
material plane. <laughs> and the fact that he just kind of wanders through it in a dream, in almost like a, a dreamlike state, was fitting. Right. And then ha it, to have it be over with quickly and carried on seemed very appropriate. Yeah, I agree with you. Almost like almost like a, a dream logic journey through the dark. <laughs> yeah, which, which, again, I, I felt was evocative of the kind of danger that he was in, the kind of weird, surreal, mystical danger that he was in. The kind of nightmare he was traveling through. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I want to hear the story about how Tracker got into and out of the Darklands the first time. Well, him and Nika, because apparently they were together at the time. Right? I kind of, I want to hear that story. I want to know how he knows all these things about the Darklands. Well, I'm I'm also looking forward to hearing uh, Leopard and Fumali laugh off their experience and be like, see, it was no big deal. Which I am half expecting them to do. <laughs> like, which they may or may not do. We will see. We shall see when we read up on chapter 11 of our novel. Yes. And pick up in part three. I want to do that in time for next week. In the meantime, uh, one thing that's become more and more clear through this novel is that Tracker uh, spent a little bit of time learning from the Sangoma, not merely tolerating her as we first thought, mm -hmm. and that he was maybe glossing over some of the time that he spent with her. That is a good example of how different generations can get together and talk to each other and learn from one another. And wouldn't you know it, but right here in Edmonton, there is a podcast that's all about exactly that. Anita's going to tell you about it. Sure am. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by The Shared Mic. Can you remember the last time you spoke to someone from a totally different generation who wasn't a member of your family? There's so much we can learn from listening to people both younger and older than ourselves. The Shared Mic, Conversations for the Ages, is a unique interview format intergenerational podcast by Age-Friendly Edmonton bringing together people of different ages and backgrounds to discuss topics that matter to them. Season 2 is out now and features conversations about cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theatre, volunteerism, and much more. Find The Shared Mic on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton. The Shared Mic. <laughs> Sounds neat. It does something uh, worth checking out Agreed. if you're looking for other podcasts and i mean you might have plenty of time this holiday season for listening to podcasts oh don't remind me you can find plenty more at albertapodcastnetwork.com absolutely an entire library for your perusal yeah on any topic under the sun and probably not all of them are local to edmonton or even alberta so even if you are someone tuning in from abroad you can definitely find something Absolutely. that's worth your time. Uh, you can download those podcasts on the podcatcher of your choice while you're there. Be sure to maybe give us a little, uh, little rating and a review. That helps us out. Yeah, we'd like that. Uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us, we have a selection of social media through which you may do so. We have... Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. You can also send us a longer missive if you so desire. Yes, our email address is thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much. And we'll see you next time. Nightmare fuel.
Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. 